Fantastic. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. Turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We're going to read a couple of passages. One that's... Um, Simon's just read to us, but we're also going to link to um, verse 23 um, from chapter 8 as well. And I'm expecting this morning that as we look at this concept of our identity in the Spirit, that God is going to move in our lives and we're going to understand and get a revelation again today of who we are and what God is doing in and through us. So he's calling us into relationship with Him. And it's all about relationship with God. God is calling us deeper and deeper into connection, into relationship with him. And as we understand our connection and relationship with him, we're going to understand and see today that shapes our very identity of who we are and therefore the way that we live in the light of who we are. You see, when, you, when we believe who we actually are, that's where we act and believe and behave from. It's from that position of understanding, this is who I am in Christ. This is what God has done for me. And so I'm expecting this morning that God's going to move in our lives and we're going to receive something of a revelation today of who we are in light of who God is. But I also believe this morning that God is calling us to lift our heads and our, ex- and our expansive view of who he is and what he's like. I believe God wants us to get a bigger picture. Because if we're going to step into an understanding of what it means to be and find our identity in Christ, our identity in God, and who we actually are, our very nature, in the nature of God, then I believe we've got to have a big view of who God is. We can't have a small view that God's just available sometimes or limited. We've got to have a big and expansive view of who God is, because otherwise we're going to miss the bigger picture. We've got to understand and see who God really, really is. Last week when Stuart was talking, one of the things he said towards the end was there's a sense or a practice that we can do where we practice the very presence of God, that we connect with God on a daily basis and that through our day we can practice the presence. We can become aware of God himself around us, in and through us. And it's in God that we live and move and have our being, it says in Acts. And that that very nature of God all around us, that our life, every movement that we make is in God himself. I believe that something comes to life as we see the very presence and the nature of God around us. Not just as God happens to be everywhere. No, the very living presence of God is all around our lives. And one of the fascinating things, if you look in the Old Testament, that the word that we translate as presence is the Hebrew word panim, which literally really means face. So the very face. So if we're going to talk about the presence of God, we're talking about the face of God. So if we're going to practice the presence of God, we're going to practice face-to-face connection with God. Face-to-face encounters with him. So when the Bible talks about in Psalms how we love his presence and connect with his presence, what it means is we're connecting face-to-face with God. And as we encounter him, that is what changes our lives when we're face to face with God. We practice that presence of saying, God, I know that you're all around me. In you I live and move and have my being and I connect with you. I've loved doing that this week. Just connecting with God and saying, God, where are you in this moment? What are you up to? I know that we're face to face, that even in the unseen, I can experience your presence, the face to face connection with my heavenly father. And I've been reading through Dallas Willard's The Divine Conspiracy. And as part of that, he quotes a, um, a theologian, a, Meth- a Methodist theologian called Adam Clark, who was um, one of the theologians that was great friends with the Wesleys and wrote quite a bit of their theology in terms of understanding and making sense of what God was doing at that time. And I want to read a quote of how he views God 
and has his description of God. I mean, in the middle of it, he even uses the word that God is indescribable. But there is a sense of him trying to get hold of who is God and what is he like. And I, I want to read it to us as we start, because we, as we think about coming into the presence of God, face to face with him, encounter, encountering him, and him inviting us into his family that that's our story, that's our connection with him. I believe we've got to have a big view of who God is. So I want to read this to us. This is what Adam Clark says, a theologian from a couple of hundred years ago about the very nature and presence of God. He says this, the eternal, independent, and self-existent being. The being whose purposes and actions spring from himself, without foreign motive or influence who is absolute in dominion, the most pure, the most simple, the most spiritual of all essences, infinitely perfect and eternally sufficient, needing nothing that has been made, illimitable in his immensity. I don't even know if illimitable is a word, but I love that word. Illimitable in his immensity, inconceivable in his mode of existence, and indescribable in his essence, known fully only by himself, because an infinite mind can only be fully comprehended by itself. In a word, a being who, from his infinite wisdom, cannot err or be deceived, and from his infinite goodness can do nothing wrong but what is eternally just, right, and kind. That's the kind of God I believe in. That's the kind of God that I believe this morning is face to face with us saying, I'm inviting you into my family. I'm inviting you into my presence. I'm inviting you into the story of what I'm doing in the world. I believe we've got to get a big picture of God that he's illimitable in his immensity, inconceivable in his mode of existence, indescribable in his essence, but also infinitely good. That everything he does is right and kind and just. And so as we connect with God this morning, as we think about him inviting us into his story and his family, I want us to have a big picture of who God is. Not a little view, but a massive view of what he's like. He's inviting us in as children into that story of his very nature and who he is. I'd love to pray for us as we start. Father God, I thank you that you are so incredible. I pray for a revelation this morning for each and every one of us again of your magnitude, of your majesty, and of your incredible nature. And I pray, God, that as we think about that, as we ponder who you are in your nature, I pray, God, that we would live in the light of that and that you would reveal to us that we are your children, chosen, known, and loved by you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at Romans chapter 8. In verse 15, so we've picked up the story, we've looked at a few concepts already as what it means to live a life in the Spirit, and this is our identity in the Spirit. So we're going to read the verses 15 and 23. 15 says this, and it's on the screen, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And then in verse 23... And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. And so Paul, throughout this chapter, as we looked at and talked about, is looking at what does it mean to live a life in the Spirit, to connect to God, to understand our experiences with God, to make sense of them in the world, and what God has done in and through us, to 
see that actually that's expressed through the change and transformation of our very being and our way of life. And Paul here begins to pick up a metaphor or a picture for us of this idea of adoption. And so he takes one, Paul does this quite often through scripture, but he takes this idea of adoption and we're going to take this through our, our time this morning so that we can see what this means. This is literally, adoption is the Greek word heothesia, heothesia, which literally means the children of God or the nation of God or the people of God. It's translated here sons, adoption as sons, but it means sons and daughters because it's the nation the people, and the um, very connection with God. It's a big picture. The children of God, the nation of God, the people of God. So it includes each and every one of us. So as we read this, we're connecting into a story that Paul's looking to paint a picture for us. Now, Paul's writing to those in Rome, and so this is a concept that they would have understood immediately. This word, this idea, would have made sense to them because it's part of um, the normal life. It's part of family life, adoption, bringing into adoption was part of normal life, part of family life in the Mediterranean world at that time. Literally meaning to make somebody a son, someone who isn't a son into somebody who is a son or daughter. So it's taking somebody who was a slave and then making them a son or a daughter. It's literally moving them from one place to another, into a new family and um, a new freedom because of those things. So there's a few things going on here which I just want to unpack for us and help frame what we're talking about because I believe some of these concepts are so helpful for us in understanding what it means to be a son or daughter. So in, in, the, in Roman um, times that Paul is writing to and he's speaking to in this moment, when a child's born biologically, the family actually gets a choice in that moment whether they're going to keep the child or not. That's actually a choice that they get. There's no sense that actually they have to keep that child. They could disown them. However... If they choose to adopt somebody, that becomes a legally binding moment of time that actually means that that is permanent, that they have chosen the children, they have in some way desired them to become their children. So they've desired them. It's an interesting concept for us to get our head around, because I think in our um, thinking you desire more your own children than you would somebody who's coming into your family who's coming from a slave. But actually this is a moment where we, the family is saying, we're going to choose this person and adopt them into the family. And they go through a ceremony, and this ceremony would mean we're going to adopt this child in, there's going to be witnesses to that, which we're going to look at in a few moments' time, but this idea that actually this child then receives a brand new identity. Their very identity from the past is completely cut off. So who they were before, finished, it's done. Any prior commitments, responsibilities, debts or issues are wiped clean. The person is a brand new person in a brand new family. Everything else is erased. They then have new rights and responsibilities within the family. And so within that family, there's new rights, new responsibilities were taken on by them. And that, in fact, inheritance wasn't something you just received when your family members died. It was actually something you experienced and lived in whilst they're living. So you experience this all together. So let's just walk this out together. Paul's talking about our adoption in, with, through the Spirit into God's family. And he's using a word that automatically, for those readers originally reading this, are connecting to and seeing this is a process that takes place when a slave is adopted as a son or daughter. And in that process, their past is completely erased, completely gone. No mistakes, no issues, no debt. They're then given new rights, responsibilities in that moment, and access to inheritance in Christ, in, to the new family. So let's walk that out for you and me. When God has called us into his family, he says the spirit has then called us, his, 
children. And so we're adopted as a spirit of adoption that comes upon our lives that means that our past, our failures, our issues, our debts completely eradicated. That it means there's new rights and responsibilities for us in our life today. And there's access right now to the very inheritance of God that he has for us in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul is talking about. And as we get into the detail of it, we'll see that God has chosen you. You are fully desired by him. You're fully chosen. He knows you by name and he said, I want you personally right now, you as my son and as my daughter. I want you. I've chosen you. I've called you for this moment. And all of that is in Christ Jesus. We become co-heirs with him. We have the family name of God. That God has chosen us. He's given us his name. Your old life is gone completely. You have a new identity all because of Jesus Christ. Jesus' work on the cross means that we can step into that life and that identity. It's important to note that this word adoption is never used for Jesus Christ. It's not used to understand him as the son. Actually, the phrases used for Jesus Christ are the son of God, that he's the father, son, his son, or simply the son. He is the Son. And so it indicates a couple of truths for us. That Jesus' connection to the Father is unique, and it's a different order. But it also means because of him, we're able to step into the adoption that we have with God. So it's because of Jesus Christ. So he has a different um, connection. It's unique. But our one is meaning that we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We become a brother and sister with Jesus Christ. We connect with him so deeply. And it's no wonder then that Paul says, if you read in verse 15, just have a look at that. He then says that through this adoption and by him, we can then cry out, Abba, Father. See, it's no wonder that then when we understand that God has chosen us, he's called us, your past is eradicated, that he's given you new rights and responsibilities and access to the inheritance, that then we can cry, Abba, Father. Abba literally meaning daddy, my dad. My dad, I can call on my dad, my father, and connect with him. It's no wonder, is it, though, that that is a cry of our heart that comes out to say, God, you've done this. Think back to that statement that I read, the illimitable one, the one who is indescribable, the one who is pure in all of his actions and beings. He is calling you into relationship with him. We get to connect with him. And it's no wonder then we cry out, my father, Abba, father, I love you. I connect with you. I believe you. This should have a huge impact, a massive impact on the way that we live, the way that we pray, what we believe about ourselves and who we are. It should impact the way we enter a room. It should impact the way that we live and choose to do the things that we're doing because God himself has chosen you and called you. He's face to face with you as your father. And this is who we are. Often we think this, this is something we should become or something we should do. That it's a certain list of behaviors, that if I behave like this, then it means I'm a son or daughter. Yet, the very essence here is that Paul is saying you are adopted in, you have a new nature. You live from that nature. You see, when we live trying to grasp something and be something, we can't do it. But when we live saying this is my very nature and my very essence is a child of God, then I live from that position the things that I choose to do, the things I choose to say or think or believe about the world shift and change. It transforms who we are. And so Paul is saying you're no longer slaves, you're adopted in as family members. No longer slaves. At the end of our service, we're going to sing that song 
no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Because I want us to make that declaration that we believe that we're children of God today. That God has chosen us, he's called us, and he knows us. Danny Silk says this about it. The spirit of fear wants us to think like orphans. To feel insignificant, powerless, and alone in the face of problems. And to react by focusing on ourselves. When we start acting like this, it's a sign that we've forgotten who we truly are as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. Those who have access to unlimited resources of love and courage and wisdom with which to face any circumstance. When we are operating in our identity through the spirit of adoption, we will align our choices with love and its goal of connection. Fear drives us away from people. Love drives us toward people. As long as we're aligning ourselves with the spirit of fear, we will be pursuing the goal of fear, which is distance and disconnection. We will end up caught up in endless cycles of injustice, offense, and punishment that causes so much chaos and pain to us and to others. Tom, I'd love you to leave that on the screen just for a couple of minutes because you might just want to read that through a couple of times to see the contrast between what it means to be a slave to fear or adopted and connected to God. You see, love pursues connection with one another. It pursues connection. It drives us towards the goal of connecting deeper in relationship. But fear causes us to pursue disconnection. Now, the Bible tells us that perfect love drives out fear. The two cannot exist side by side. When love is in our lives, when God is in our lives, as his very nature as love, it drives fear away because it just repels it. The two can't stay side by side. And so as people of God, we've got to live as people that understand our identity and know that God has called us, that we live differently now because we're no longer slaves, we're sons and daughters of God. We're very children of God, changed and transformed by him. And so I just want to spend a few moments just looking at a few contrasts of what takes place in our life if we think like a slave or think in our old way of thinking, slave to fear, or as we think like sons and daughters. The first one of these is about lack, lack. That when we're slaves, we can think that actually uh, we can have a poverty mentality. We can think that everything is limited. Everything has lack to it, that everything's going to run out, that there's going to be problems, that everything's time limited or resource limited. We don't trust God for what he's got for us. And this can work out in all sorts of ways in our lives. You know, in, in, in my life, I've seen this work out in all sorts of um, funny ways as well as um, serious ways. When Joy and I first got married, um, she would always um, mock me for the fact that when we'd been shopping, um, I had this thing, this, this habit of putting most of the food on the side, on the cabinet, that kind of filled the cabinet. It was like on display, like the bread, the cereal, just like stuff, just kind of like out there. And Joy was like, why don't you put it in the cupboard? And I'm like, I quite like it on the side there. It looks, it looks nice. It makes me feel good. There's food in the house. It makes me feel safe and secure, that there's resources that I need if I want a bowl of cornflakes. There they are. They are available to me. Or perhaps there's times in our lives where, uh, thankfully that was mocked away, that, that left. And, um, but there's times in our life, isn't there, where actually we, be, we believe that the things that we have around us are limited, that if we don't have, a, have us in front of us, that, that somehow, you know, if somebody else receives praise or adoration in the workplace, we think, oh, is there, is there what about me? Is there enough to go around for me too? Or we can think, you know, somebody 
If we give honour to somebody or if we praise someone or give encouragement to someone, we can think, is there enough to go round? Am I going to miss out because actually they've got some and I haven't? See, lack and that thinking can work out in all sorts of ways in our life. But we're not called to think in that way. We're called to think with abundance. Because when we understand the kingdom of heaven, that it is limitless, that God in his illimitability actually gives us all that we need. That it means that, you know, I often think of it this way. We can often imagine there's 10, imagine there's 10 blocks of praise that can go out. And if we give two of those to somebody who's done a great job here and two of those to somebody here, oh no, there's only six left and we're running out. But actually, if we understand the unlimitable nature of God, praise, adoration, encouragement, blessing one another, speaking well of one another, giving to one another actually becomes unlimited in what we can give and what we can do. We can do that to any nature because there's no limit. There are no blocks to those things. It's just limitless. There's abundance. We know that God can provide for us. We can trust him for all that we've got. So we can encourage, love, bless, and speak well of one another. If we're slaves, then we can live in insecurity. I love Stuart's um, and word that he gave us during the worship, that actually when the world is shaking, it can feel like actually what is going to take place, what is going on. And in those moments where we are insecure, we can often focus on ourselves or become overly critical of other people. We can criticize what they're doing because it makes us feel safer, makes us feel better, makes us feel like actually if I punish somebody else or if I um, bring them down a notch or two, then I can feel a bit better about myself. You might have seen that in your own life or in your workplace. But actually we're called to be people who are secure and self-controlled in what God has called us to. That actually we have a foundation that we understand that we're bought with a price, that we're ransomed, we're chosen, we're called, we're fully loved, we're restored, we're forgiven. When you live from that foundation and that identity, you understand the, what it means to cultivate healthy friendships and relationships with the world around you, with security and life. Danny Silk again says this, human beings are very different from one another and our differences can trigger our anxiety. The only way to lower anxiety and work through our differences is to put connection first. The heart of love says, I will pursue connection with you even when we disagree. This is how God loves us. He isn't afraid of those things in our lives that don't reflect him. He doesn't run when our humanity rears its ugly head. He is committed to us and pursues us relentlessly. Loving others unconditionally means that we value our connection more than our need to be right. We see people through God's eyes and allow them to be themselves. We may not agree with their viewpoints or opinions, but we aren't afraid of them and we don't disconnect over them. We're willing to do whatever it takes to protect our connection Love wins. This is how the world will know that we are his if we love one another. I think the reality in community, isn't it, is that we're not always going to get on. There's going to be differences of opinion. There's going to be different viewpoints that we have. But if our, if our pursuit is to be right over connection, then what we're going to end up with is losing the very thing that we want, unity and connection in the spirit of God. And so our security means that even if we disagree, even if we have a difference of opinion, we can get on, we can connect and not be afraid because we understand that connection and loving one another is what holds us and what binds us together. The next one is that we can have our head down or an earthly thinking. You know, so often when we look at the world or our circumstances, we can think our life is determined by our circumstances and what is taking place today. 
In Numbers 13, we see just as the people of God are trying to enter the promised land, Moses sends some spies into the promised land to go and have a look, to see what's there, to spy out the land, to see how good it is and what's taking place. And so 12 spies are sent and all 12 come back, but 10 of them come back with a bad report. And they say there's giants in the land, there's walled cities. We looked tiny in comparison to them. And so what can happen in our mindset so easily is we focus on the circumstances that are around us. We focus on what is taking place in the natural. Adam Bright says, once your focus is on your circumstances, your effectiveness is determined by them. Once your focus is on your circumstances, your effectiveness is determined by those very circumstances. I don't believe we're called to live looking down, focused on our circumstances. I believe we're called to live looking up, focusing on eternity and heaven. Psalm 68 says that when the earth shakes, the heavens pour down rain. And so often in our lives, when we think about or we're focused on the shaking of the world around us, we can have a head down thinking, God, where are you? What are you doing? I just wonder what would happen if we lifted our heads and saw heaven reigning, saw the presence of God pouring down upon us. That in the very midst of that shaking, the difficulty, the very face of God is right in our face, longing for connection and relationship. You see, when we live heads up, we're like Joshua and Caleb who came back from that land and said, we can surely do it. They had a belief because of the promises of God. And so I don't know all of what everyone's facing here in this room today, but if we're facing stuff that feels like the earth is shaking, I want you to get a heavenly perspective and ask God, God, what are you up to? What are you doing? Jesus said in John 5, my father is always working. God is always busy. He's always active around your life. He never stops. He's always moving. We've just got to find him, believe him, and trust what he says over our lives. And so I encourage you, whatever the circumstances are, find God's perspective. God, what are you up to? What is your promise? Because when we stand on the promise of God, that is when we get a different outlook and we have a heavenly perspective and we step into our identity as sons and daughters. Finally, just on this point, we can strive and we can think we've got to pursue things and go for things and work and earn if we have a slave or a poverty mentality. We can think that actually by working, we can actually earn God's approval. We can think that if we do more, do enough, then actually we can be made right, that we can please somehow other people or God if we just do enough, if we just make it. Yet striving in that way always leads to disappointment because what it leads to is a sense we're never enough in ourselves. We're never good enough as who we are. Yet God speaks over our lives, you're good enough. You're good enough and I've chosen you and I've called you. He speaks over our lives, you're mine and I've got hold of you. We don't have to do anything to get God's approval, to get his love, to get his very nature and presence around our lives. We can rest back into what God has done and we can trust him in who he is. And so as children of God, we have access to the abundance of heaven, to the security of God's life around us, to eternity and eternal perspective on what's taking place and to rest. We can trust and rest back in God and what he's done in us. Now into those things, I don't know about you, but as I read that list, that some of those things are things that I think, yeah, I'm doing really well in that area. But there are other things where I think that bit just doesn't seem to click or it does for a little while and then I seem to step out of it or step away from it, that actually we can be thinking, yeah, that sounds good, but actually how do we live that? How do we begin to step into that? How do we know our change and transformation is taking place? And I know that feeling so often that when we think about 
how I want to be different, act different, think differently in these moments. It can be just as the Israelites were on the Red Sea. And I want you to picture that for a moment. They're on the beach, the Israelites, and they're facing the Red Sea before them. And Pharaoh's army is behind them. But so often change moments in our lives feel like we don't know what it means to be on the other side of this sea. We can't see what it looks like yet. We don't know what it means to feel like or to think like in that new perspective of what God wants to do in and through our lives. But I believe in a God who parts the sea. I believe in a God who makes a way for you and for me, who says, actually, you might be on this side at the moment and struggling in in insecurity, in a feeling of lack or a feeling of um, just you've got to strive to get some stuff, whatever it might be today. I believe God is putting, putting us on the place where he's saying, I'm the one who splits the sea. I'm the one who makes a way for you and for me. So if we've fallen back into the thinking that actually makes us slaves to fear, I want to encourage us today. God is the one who makes a way for us to move forward. So what does this look like? Because I've saved what I believe is the best bit till last of what God does in and through us. You see, God has called us into relationship with him, into his family. And Paul here, is, as we've looked at, is taking this adoption idea and um, this picture. But it's one part of the picture that we haven't yet looked at. And that is the witnesses that are called together to witness that this new son or daughter is adopted into the family. And so for the Romans, what would take place is there'd be a ceremony and seven witnesses would all come together and be at this moment. They would all witness that this slave has now become a son or a daughter. This slave has now moved and transitioned. And that if then there was ever anybody who would question it, doubt it, or say, did that really happen? Is that really true? Are they really this part of this family now? One of those witnesses could be called upon. And W.E. Ball puts it this way. One of the seven witnesses is called, I was present, he says, at the ceremony. It was I who held the scales and struck them with the ingot of brass. It was an adoption. I heard the words of vindication. And I say that this person was claimed not as a slave, but as a son. I was there. Now, the fascinating thing about this of what Paul does in this situation is he's not saying, looking for us even as brothers and sisters to say, I was there when this person was adopted into the family. He says the very spirit of God is our witness. The spirit of God is our witness. So if you're ever in a position where you're doubting or wondering or the enemy comes against you with lies to say, is it true you're a child of God? Is that true? The insecurities come and rob those things. The very spirit of God himself comes as our witness. He comes alongside and he whispers and speaks over us and says, you are changed into a son and daughter. Your very state and nature is now changed and transformed. It's a changed life. As God speaks that truth over us, it's a changed life. John Piper puts it this way. The spirit's witness is not a whisper in your ear, but a changed heart and a changed life. Your very essence is now different. Your character and your nature has changed. And the one who testifies and witnesses to it is the Holy Spirit of God. I love that revelation. I love that thought because if there's ever those moments where I think, is this true? Are you saying this, God? Have you done this? The very Spirit of God testifies and witnesses to me in my changed heart, in my changed life, in my changed thinking to say, Paul, your nature is now different. Do not cling to those things, but seek the things of heaven. Let's pray together. If the band could come up just as we pray. We're going to pray in a couple of ways and we're going to sing No Longer Slaves. And just as the Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives, it 
it may be that it takes you a few minutes just to sing those words, because I want us to sing those words as a declaration of truth as to who we are in our nature, our changed heart, and our changed life. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray into our hearts and lives that you would speak to us so deeply today. God, I pray right across this place for a revelation of who you are, for your immensity, for your magnitude, for your majesty, for the bigness and the greatness and the holiness of who you are. And I pray, God, that we would live in the light of that. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to pray just one prayer that's going to come up on the screen before we sing together. And if you're here today and you um, don't yet know Jesus, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, this is an opportunity. This prayer is a gateway prayer to step into relationship, connection, and presence of God. That face to face you become aware of his grace and his love over your life. So we're going to read this prayer out loud together. And then I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes. And if you prayed this for the first time, you want to connect with Jesus. As everyone's got their eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand to say yes to him. Then one of my friends can come alongside you, put a booklet in your hand. They can pray with you, stand with you and help you in your next steps. Let's read this out loud together. Thank you, God, for loving me before I ever loved you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that I can get connected to you now because you are alive today. I admit that I've lived my life without you and I've messed up. I ask for your total forgiveness and I commit myself to you. Help me to submit my life to your teaching and direction from now on. I receive you into my life and ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen. Just close your eyes for a moment. Just as everyone's got their eyes closed, if you're here today and you want to say yes to Jesus, as everyone's got their eyes closed, I just want to invite you now to raise your hand nice and high. Say yes to him. Open your life to him. Start a relationship with him. Go on a faith adventure with Jesus Christ. Anybody want to do that today? Wonderful. Amen. Well, I'd love it if we could stand to our feet if you're able. And we're going to sing and we're going to declare. And as we do so, Holy Spirit, I pray for revelation and transformative encounters with the very living God. Holy Spirit, I pray that we would hear you over our lives saying that we are yours, you've called us, and I pray for life-changing moments and transformation, insecurities to break off, hope to rise, that we wouldn't have a lack perspective, but we would step into abundance today and to rest of all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.